goodness we're still on Zoom. Um, Large reason... pastry for change. Mm. Just a bit Jim. Chest and triceps today. Tough workout. Uh, how's, how's baby Boldy? All right, thanks. He's just weed on me, which is nice. Fracking. How, how rare are his poos? Simon Mayo, who, as I'm sure you all know, has a film podcast. He has revealed on that film podcast that when he was a child and now, uh, well, uh, then with his children, the, the pooing part of their young lives used to be called trying. Oh, he's, got, he's gone off to, to try. Mm. Oh, he's, he's in the loo trying. And my most, mum used, used to call it at-as. Oh, really? Go figure. Did that give you a complex about it, Chinks? Did you feel no, I've only just remembered it. I've only just remembered the phrase now. Have you done your at-as today? Is that close to uh-ohs? Maybe. <laughs> other, end of the, uh, other end of the lexicon, but maybe. Yeah, I don't know why. It's only just come back to me now. I, it's we, something I didn't use in my own children. Sounds like she was the brains and inspiration behind the Teletubbies, Chinch. Mm. Maybe way ahead of her time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the Teletubbies were just constantly shitting, and that was the bit that we didn't realise. <laughs> Out of their mouths. <laughs> this is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth, the man who would be king, a famous short story by Rudyard Kipling. Rory Smith, the man who knew too much, a classic movie by Alfred Hitchcock. And Andy Hinchcliffe, the man who... A terrible album by Travis. Uh, the food is... Um, Hang on, I'm not having that at all. What? Terrible. Terrible. Travis. Not terrible. terrible. The man who Travis are not terrible. Why is it always raining on you? Because you keep complaining. Shut up, you whining, and might it? Yeah. It might stop. The Man Who is a good album, no. and I will take that to my grave. No, no, terrible, terrible. Not a literal, not a nonsense. Not a literal copy. Brit pop nonsense whining. Um, the food is uh, <laughs> Rory. Your posh pot noodle. What would you like um, to tell us about your posh pot noodle? Fancy pot noodle. Um, it's by a major high street sushi chain. Who don't sponsor us? Oh, yes. it's Sue. It's Sue. Uh, there's too um, many of them in London, not not enough of them up north, and yet you have it. Do you have an an Itsu, or is it bought? From there the is Tesco? there is an Itsu in Central Leeds. Uh, this one was bought from a Waitrose, I believe. Um, the which we also have in the north. Uh, the no, we're just I'm just trying to trying to trying to zhuzh up my lunch options. To be honest, I've got sitting cheese and pickle sandwiches. Which I've subsisted on for months. You rely, you rely on your parents providing most of your lunches. What other uh, expenses have you cut back on to enable you to shop in Waitrose? Uh, the <laughs> life mm, insurance. It's just all those. It's all to be honest. I reserve my Waitrose weeks for when I do the radio. It's just a pure. It's a straight BBC to Waitrose translation of money. <laughs> I won't do it. In, I won't. I won't shop at Waitrose in a week where I've not earned any extra money, and therefore this um, this morning's supermarket shop. Was it Tesco? <laughs> so, so Waitrose, five goiser, full five live fee. That's, that's oh, they do, they do, they do, 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 do gyoza at um at uh, at Waitrose. To be fair, that isn't that is an option. But you can get these itsu pot noodles from anywhere. Uh, the football is Chinch. Do you know what we're talking about today, Chinch? Um, is it an ill-fitting suit? <laughs> I read that part of some kind of correspondence. Was we're on fashion now? Are we? Uh, yeah, we're oh. talking about Lionel yeah. Messi. Uh, we've yeah. talked enough about the Premier League over the last three weeks to not provide you with a preview in the week preceding the start of the new season when a preview would be perfectly timed. But no doubt we'll return to it soon enough. And if it's early enough in that season, then hey, presto, a preview-ish. So given the events of the last few days in Barcelona, and by the time you listen to this, likely Paris as well, we thought we'd talk about Lionel Messi. That is to come. Given that our summer series is over and normal services resumed, we have reintroduced our further ado section which is the correspondence. So you can get in touch on email, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Find us also on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And as of today, you can find us somewhere new. Because to, this, is, this feels like a tweet which starts off with some personal news. Hmm. Uh, because is, this, is this a meeting that could be a tweet rather than an email? <laughs> well, we, enough of us work for the BBC for it to be a meeting to set up a meeting, at which point you will then decide when you have the meeting where you decide something. Uh, as of today, you can find us somewhere new. We have often complained. Rory has regularly complained about how we all do this for free. And a glorious but brief association with men's grooming products aside... That remains the case. I need to pay for my Waitrose shops. <laughs> On non-BBC weeks only. Uh, we are also often garlanded with your praise for the podcast. And we are forever grateful for your kind words, which in truth is why we all do it for free. More importantly now, though, we'd very much like to monetize that goodwill. If you are, as we assume you are, the kind of person who has enough disposable income to spend some of it on apparel, mugs, etc. with the 
etc. They're doing quite a lot of heavy lifting. Then we encourage you to do it at tpublic.com and search for Set Piece Menu or SPM uh, because we have merch, which I think is a very American phrase. And I do apologize if I am using it uh, to ears that are not used to that. Merchandise for the British amongst us. Um, now, everybody's seen um, a preview of what is going to be on the SPM store, the Set Piece Menu store on tpublic.com. Um, and I'm not going to go around the room because this is a very um, natural and organic way of uh, creating promotional material and ask you what your favourite item is on that set piece menu merch store. Chinch, uh, you appear on almost all of it. So uh, do you have yeah. a favourite amongst them? It has to have to go with the T-shirts. The trained by Joao in the circle, because there's, there's two options there. I love that one. And also the weathered by the footballing winds. I just never realised that a phrase of mine could be, could be taken on to such a degree and made global immortalized yes that's the word on apparel yes uh, Stephen, do you have a favorite amongst the myriad options that listeners can now go to tpublic.com and buy spend money give us money well you would anticipate me to go for for f's sake you don't go to var <laughs> but i really have been drawn to the instagram style i like big headbutts and i cannot <laughs> lie jack breachcliffe Yes, famous Jack Reachcliffe quotes also uh, becoming global, as Chinch would say. Mm. Um, and I've hopefully timed this to a, uh, a swallowing of an Itsu noodle dish. Uh, what's your favourite, Rory? Um, I like the um, I like my Reacher out of context T-shirt, and that's very good. But I'm also very taken with the, with the several options to do with buffaloes. I think they're mm. all they're all excellent. There is one that I think would look good on a mug, and that is the one of Chinch's uh, car rental dealership. <laughs> Which uh... I'm not happy with the tagline on that. We had quite a few options on that, and they've gone with breaks down regularly. <laughs> it works, but it's, it's, it's harsh. I would, I, would, I would have that mug. In fact, I might order that mug. Uh, please order that mug because you will benefit in I some small way. No, if I order the mug, then you three get money. That's yes, not yes, yes, you do. So Listen, order it. This is the kind of thing that uh, you can uh, use up all your all your money that you earn at the BBC on Waitrose plus SPM merch. Um, we don't need you to like it, by the way. We just need you to buy it. Uh, I can admit to being happy <laughs> if it's bought with the intention of being cool social wear, but immediately becomes embarrassing nighttime wear. Buy your next set of painting clothes or pyjamas or dish rags. <laughs> <laughs> at tpublic.com and search for set piece menu or SPM. Uh, it's very simple. We've got merch. Buy it. We get money. We haven't received any money apart from, from Manscaped, and it wasn't really very much. They didn't take us that seriously. So if you could go to tpublic.com, line our pockets if you have any goodwill remaining after this self-congratulatory section that we've just uh, brought to you. Genuinely, buy like three or four versions of everything. Thank you. Um, <laughs> didn't sound desperate at all, that, did it? <laughs> That got a little unbecoming towards the end. Uh, right then, to the further ado. Fittingly, we have three emails about our three episodes on Premier League exceptionalism, which uh, was our summer series. Firstly, to Matt Lishman, who says this. Dear EastEnders, Coronation Street, Emmerdale and Sunset Beach. Uh, massive congrats to Hugh on the new arrival and big thanks to you all for keeping the hot soccer chat absolutely roasting during what's obviously been a very busy time. Normally, I somewhat passively let the gang's melodious musings wash over me in awesome waves, but due to Steve's regrettable nod to Rafa versus Bruce in part one of your Premier League exceptionalism series on managers, as a Magpies fan myself, I felt, I felt uncharacteristically prickled and was stirred into animation. Steve said he found it the disparity. Worked. Yes, it worked, exactly. And you did pre-apologise, so I do appreciate that this, uh, this is going to need another apology afterwards. Steve said he found the disparity in opinions towards Benitez and Bruce startling. And I hope that you allowed me the opportunity to briefly explain, particularly given the reality has implications on your wider discussion in that episode. Before Rafa arrived, the majority of Newcastle fans did not feel owed a highly decorated manager due to some delusions about the status of the club. In fact, despite my belief that we're a far bigger club than what Richard Keyes et al. would have you believe, my recollection of Benitez's arrival is sheer disbelief and wondering what on earth was wrong with the man. Sure, maybe we felt that we'd earned a sprinkling of stardust after the malaise of the Ashley era, but we weren't thinking to ourselves, oh, a multiple League Cup and Champions League winner is at Newcastle now? Well, yes, I should bloody well think so. The truth is, it felt like Newcastle had, to a certain extent, won the manager lottery, particularly given our position in the relegation zone at the time. Bruce, on the other hand, followed that appointment, and regardless of his origin, his performance, or his media handling, he was destined to be the man 
who just wasn't Rafa. Where previously mid-table felt like it could be the beginning of something if we just spent a bit of money, with Bruce there is a foreboding sense of 12th being the ceiling, despite him being blessed with a bigger transfer budget than his predecessor. Add in a few humiliating results and several irksome comments in the press, and he's got a mountain to climb when it comes to earning anywhere near the same amount of adulation. No manager is beneath a club, but the stark reality is there are good managers and there are less good managers. Fans are smart enough to know which ones are which, and the majority react accordingly. As for us, I would be ecstatic to see Newcastle appoint anyone who can inject a sense of hope and excitement, regardless of their medals cabinet or their last club. And I think at the end of it all, that's what any football fan wants. Matt Lishman. Stephen, you have an opportunity to respond. I, I don't need to respond. Matt is uh, entitled to his opinion, and he's made it very well. That was a passive-aggressive way of responding without responding. <laughs> no. Did you no, agree with him, though, Steve? I just I just find it strange that what Steve Bruce achieves in terms of his league placing is somehow underwhelming when it is so similar to what Rafa was achieving with his league placing. I appreciate they are both entirely different characters and that, yes, perhaps aspirationally you would want one man in charge rather than the other, but it does just feel a little bit as though one had better PR. Or a, or a book written for him by Rory Smith, which is obviously something of great notes. And I wonder if Rory should actually do Steve Bruce's book. And, well, no, he writes his own, doesn't he? Next to Gavin McPhee. Dear Avis Enterprise Hertz, and you guessed it, Chinch Car Rentals. Yes! Breaks down regularly. Um, buy merch with that on it at tpublic.com. Enjoyed very much this week's pod, SPM 240, by which the time you have the chance to read, th- read this will be three weeks ago on Premier League exceptionalism particularly in regards to managerial choices. On the point where you contrasted the German managerial ladder and pyramid with the Premier League top six need to appease their fans, it was suggested that this was unique, but I wanted to counter with the old firm, north of the border. In Celtic's recent managerial search, they zeroed in on Eddie Howe, who, ironically enough, is perhaps exactly the type of manager who would not get a top six job. When that plan fell through, they quickly chose Ange Postacoglu. At no point did it seem that Jack Ross of Hibs, Callum Davidson, St Johnston or Jim Godwin, St Mirren had any chance of getting the job. The three mentioned are really only coming off the back of one fairly successful season, but it's also unlikely that they will be considered in the future for much the same reasons as the top six make their managerial selections. For most punters, Big Ange was an unknown quality, but what seems to be preferable to the association to smaller clubs within the league. Likewise, Rangers did similar when they took a successful, as it turns out, gamble, on Steven Gerrard. Ironically, it seems to me that the old firm jobs now actually are the perfect bridge from non-top six managers in the Premier League, with both jobs offering the chance to compete in the Champions League, potentially, deal with expectation of winning things, and please a demanding set of fans. And it seems the old firm is seduced enough by the Premier League brand, see Rodgers, Brendan, to get excited by a Graham Potter or Daniel Farker coming to their club, and rightly so, I might add. Anyway, just a wee observation on your points. Thanks for a superb 2021 season. Looking forward to another terrific 12 months. You never fail to keep me entertained, inquisitive and informed. And, I don't know, your cupboard stocked with merch as well, Gavin? Uh, cheers, Gavin McPhee. He's right, actually. The, the old firm probably function now as, a, as the perfect bridge. Maybe not to the top six. I think they're probably a bridge to the teams below that, sort of five to ten because of the scale of the teams. It's also not unique that the Premier League's elite don't shop in the lower reaches of their own league. I think that's probably true in Italy as well, where the the criteria for managing one of the major Italian clubs appears to have been to be having previously managed one of the other major Italian clubs. Or have played for one of them at some point. Yeah. Alex Barilaro is the last of those three emails. Dear Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Arsene Wenger and Paul Jewell. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sam Allardyce, maybe, but never the jewel. That is, that's the worst I've ever heard. I'm sorry. As per usual, your cavalcade of content is fantastic, as is our merch, Alex. Cavalcade of content? Oh, excellent. I like that. He alliterates nearly as much as me, which makes, which makes Rory very angry. I really enjoyed your Premier League exceptionalism episodes, especially SPM 242 on tactics. Uh, it's, good, it's good that nobody has uh, sought fit to comment on 241, the one in between, so clearly we've got everything right. Uh, I found it curious, as you were talking, uh, about the way that the tactics involved in English football's top flight, that we're now in a situation where the Premier League doesn't just innovate its own tactics by stealing every other league's innovations, but where the championship now actually profits from the Premier League's intellectual pilfering, the kind that does the British Museum proud. West Brom just appointed Valerian Ismail, who was appointed by Barnsley after losing their foreign manager, Gerhard Struber, to New York Red Bulls. 
Ismail takes pressing to a different standard in the football that he played at Barnsley was mesmerisingly different. Barnsley, not exactly a club that screams sophistication, have now appointed Marcus Schopp, formerly manager of Hartberg, because they see him as similarly tactically innovative. Brentford are similarly good at this. Thomas Frank has been excellent. Meanwhile, Norwich won the league with a German manager following Klopp's rise. Huddersfield got promoted doing the same. Watford appear to be foreign exclusive. Sheffield United have appointed Slavisa Jukanovic and Fulham went for Marco Silva. These are all Premier League familiar managers who were brought in for their tactical know-how by clubs in and around mid-table Premier League clubs. So while the Premier League might not necessarily be innovating themselves, they are normalising bringing in managers who can. Keep up the stellar stuff regards Alex from Melbourne, where I imagine... You can ship stuff from tpublic.com. P.S. The theatre is awful in all corners of the world. I'm with Rory. The last interesting thing to happen in a theatre was Lincoln's assassination. Which seems, seems rather morose. Anyway, uh, just on that from Buffalo Mark Cole, who adds this, Rory. Dear Pentacles, Cups, Swords and Wands, undoubtedly the reason Rory prefers wrestling to theatre goes back to his classical education. What were The Undertaker and The British Bulldog but modern incarnations of Spartacus and Marcus Atticus? Uh, I don't know if the bulldog was much of an incarnation of Marcus Atticus. Uh, I'm I'm a man of the people. I don't I I resent the metropolitan liberal elitism implicit in the theatre, and it's not just because it's a, like a boring version of the cinema. Which people are you a man of? Just the people in general. Just, just general people. Just people generally, yeah. Yeah. In which, you, in which yeah. case, next week we expect to see you eating an actual pot noodle. <laughs> no, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm a man of the people, but I, I have, I, you know, I have weight control issues, so I have to. <laughs> the, um, the the central part of the Venn diagram that has posh pot noodles and indeed theatre goers, I imagine, is quite large. Uh, finally, a parish notice from Buffalo John Wood, not the one from Huntington Beach. Hello all, can you believe that a new season of the Premier League is on us already? Every club starting off on joint first position, or last, depending on if you are glass half full, glass half empty. But the start of a new Premier League season also means the start of a new fantasy Premier League season, and the return of the SPM FPL, which is arguably far more exciting. Will Neil McNamara be able to hold on to his crown from last season when he finished top of SPM FPL and 15th in the entire world? Or will a new challenger rise up in his place? Could it be you, listener? Pause for dramatic effect. I don't know any of their names, John. Uh, to join the SPM FPL, when you log into the official Fantasy Premier League website, click to join a new league and enter this code. It's all lowercase. And don't worry, I have checked it this time. He gave us the wrong one last year. It is this, lowercase, D-W-L-Q-E-Q. D-W-L-Q-E-Q. If you were part of the league last year, when you log back into your account ahead of the new season, you should already be a part of the league. There are 109 people who are returning already. Hopefully we can get more than the 289 we had for last season. Good luck, everyone, he says. Correspondence of any kind to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Now, on Thursday at around 5 to 7 UK time, an intrepid televisual presenter heard his producer's voice in his ear. You're going to have to do the messy news over the goodbye. What messy news, said the presenter, he'd been presenting and so wasn't aware. He's leaving Barcelona, said the producer, with a kind of vocal eye roll many people would have received the statement from the club that had dropped moments earlier. Without said weary editorialising, the televisual presenter, who by the way is excellent, reported the news <laughs> of what appeared to be a goodbye over the goodbye in the 20 seconds available at the end of his programme. 20 seconds, however, was not enough. So that presenter is having another run at it today. Yes, that presenter is me. <laughs> what a twist. However, this time the guidance came from the pod's editorial heartbeat, Rory Smith, in a WhatsApp saying, should we do messy? Thankfully, unlike the BBC Sports News senior duty editor last Thursday, that is not the end of Rory's contribution on the matter. Although there still might be an eye roll or two, this time of the oral variety. So let's restate the facts. Uh, which will take longer than 20 seconds, which is the reason why I didn't enjoy doing it over 20 seconds. With one year left on his contract, Lionel Messi said he wanted to leave Barcelona. That was in the summer of 2020. It didn't happen, owing mainly to a technicality over when he made that proclamation. Then, when that deal expired, he didn't want to leave Barcelona, but partly because of the amount of money that Barca had been spending on paying him, they couldn't afford to pay him anymore, and now he is leaving Barcelona. By the time you hear this, it's expected that he would have signed for PSG for the small matter of around £25 million a year net. I say small matter because it's a lot less than he was getting and would have got had he left a year ago when he said he wanted to, but could well be more than he'd agreed to get had he stayed at Camp Nou. But the question we're asking is this. 
Why does the player that a lot of people think is the best in the world moving clubs for the first time in his career leave us all a little cold? So here's our hot take. Messi, colon, shrug emoji. So can I tell you my, my Messi leaving story? Uh, because it's been the Olympics and so nobody in the New York Times cares about football. I took a couple of days last week thinking it's quiet. It's the last few days of Tokyo 2020 in 2021. I will go and stay in a yurt near Ripon, which for those of you who don't <laughs> As know, you do. As is, you do. is a few miles north of Harrogate in North Yorkshire. And it's very pretty, but quite wet. Uh, and, and it's what everybody who covers football for 11 and a half months of the year tends to do with those few down days before the start of the new domestic mm. season. I mean, it must have been, what, what was it, you, Clive Tilsley was there, Martin Tyler, I'd imagine. All the big oh names. my God, that is all a the greats, horrible the greats dinner and... party. <laughs> all the big names. Me, uh, my friends Lucy and Dave. Uh... <laughs> Not Dave. Dave. Oh, really? Dave came, yeah. did he? Bassett. Oh. Kate was there. She was, she was, she was involved. Um, she was unhappy with how the the site had been put together. Um, she's left a fairly negative trip, trip advisor review. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, there's not much signal in Ripon because they don't really have mobile phones in North Yorkshire. And I just got an email through. I think we'd been for a walk, and I got an email through saying, "Just there was just just said we're going to do messy live," and I was like, oh, "Don't know what that means." And then I tried to open the email on my phone and couldn't open it, didn't, didn't have any signal anymore. Uh, and eventually pieced together what had happened and had to drive to a car park to file 1,200 words about Lionel Messi on my phone, which was um, which was which felt dramatic and journalistic. But it also means that I'm pretty sure that I have, I have now written the best piece ever in a yurt <laughs> in Ripon about football. Uh, that's on my, a mobile phone. On a phone. On a, so if, 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 if anyone here, anyone listening, has read my messy piece uh, from last week, bear in mind it was written in the in the car park of the Sawley Arms. It's very nice, um, the car park and the pub, uh, on a mobile phone, on a on a portable telephone, uh, without any signal really. That was so your messy was, piece. Does it is it messy with an I and a Y? No, I think it held up. To be honest, oh James. really? Good, good. Yeah, good. I think it was all right. It was. Um, I mean, if it wasn't all right, I wouldn't tell this story. Uh, the, <laughs> why did you Why did you feel the need to qualify mobile phone and then say portable phone? Portable telephone is just uh, the technical term. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to add to the drama? No, just portable and the sense telephone. Of martyrdom. Is, portable is how, telephone is how I refer to it. It's a portable no, telephone. No, the, re- the portable. The revelation here is that we have to drag Rory out of the pits of despair after he spent weeks or months curating a piece and suddenly realizes he'd have liked to have done it slightly differently. But if he writes it on his mobile in the car portable. park of a pub in portable. Yorkshire, then basically he's as happy as Larry. It's the function of deadline. So if you've got, a, it's like when you're finding live, you you don't. You're not judging, like, is this the best thing ever written by anyone? You're judging, is this the best I could have done in these circumstances? So your bar is a lot lower. So that messy piece is literally the best thing I could have written in a pub without signal, in a pub car park. I didn't go into the pub, that would be unprofessional. In a pub car park without signal on my portable telephone. So uh, that was how I found out about about the messy news. And that was very exciting for me. And in the days that have elapsed since, my main... Uh, emotion has been utter boredom at the prospect of Lionel Messi playing for Paris Saint-Germain, which I think is deeply soulless, in some way dispiriting, and a massive indictment of where... I think the whole thing is the best illustration you could hope for of where football is now, what has happened to football, and how uh, how much it has eaten itself. Are we not all a little bit responsible for that? I don't necessarily mean the four of us, but football watchers, observers, in general, would would there have been a more romantic outcome if we weren't constantly having the goat conversation if what Lionel Messi does did might do isn't being constantly compared to what Cristiano Ronaldo did done might do that Could, that, 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 that feels like why this is how this has come about could he have stayed and played for nothing no he couldn't have done that because by Spanish law so there's, there's there's two bits of the there's two bits to that no one of which is relevant and one of one of which isn't. So 
the reason that was different when that when that was first mooted is, it is there is something slightly odd about seeing Messi stand up and cry as he did on his um, on Sunday on, at his leaving press conference and saying I wanted to say I wanted to stay when part of you is thinking well you've got enough money you can play for free the reason the technical reason he can't do that is because by Spanish law every contract has to be at least fifty percent of its previous value so that so he can't be registered for nothing that is not possible the other objection was that that even if he'd stayed and played for nothing, Barcelona would still have been over, their wage bill would still have been too high. That could be solved by Barcelona getting rid of some players. The problem they've got, and this is a problem that is is not unique to Barcelona, it's 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 all the, all the super clubs and it's, it's pretty much everyone in the Premier League, is the market for players on those inflated contracts has collapsed. So Sergio Busquets is probably the finest holding midfielder of the last 10 or 15 years, but is also paid some astronomical sum. And at the age of 31, 32, there is nobody who's going to pay Sergio Busquets that money. So you could you could say that maybe a Sergio Busquets and a lot of the rest of the Barcelona team should take 50% pay cuts. They maybe would feel that it's not really their responsibility to judge how the club is running its finances. And if they're owed that money, they're owed that money. Maybe they've got commitments that mean they need that money. We don't know. Um, but there is, there is no way legally that Messi would play for nothing. He could, if that, if that didn't, if that, problem didn't exist he could have signed on for nothing but it would have been dependent on Barcelona selling or in some way freeing themselves of quite a lot of the wages of of the rest of their squad something to do with the fact that he would technically be a new registration as well so so they can't add they couldn't they couldn't even sign a kid from nowhere on nothing as a new registration because they're already over the salary limit so they can't Add contracts. Is that because his contract had ended, basically? Yeah. He did yes. not re-sign within the, yeah, the terms of his other contract. Ah. That is right. But at the same time, if by the time we put this out, if they have sold Samuel Umtiti, Merlin Pjanic, uh, Mateus Fernandez, uh, I don't know, Bustiet and Griezmann, then they probably could have signed Messi for 50% of his contract. The fact that they've not been able to do that, the fact that they've allowed Messi to go makes me think they they now accept they cannot get within La Liga's limits, which is really interesting because they've just signed four players, all on freeze, none of whom they can currently register. So th- there is there is more to the Barcelona story to play out. The the one bit from the Barcelona aspect that I find re- I find genuinely interesting is why Barcelona allowed his contract to run out. Because they could have re-signed him at any point until June the, June the 30th and been able to register him. They might not have been able to afford his wages, but they could have if they'd if they'd really been desperate for Messi to stay, they could have gone to him on June the first and said, "Leo, we're going to need you to take a fifty percent pay cut, which you've you've volunteered to do. Really generous of you, massively playing for under, way underneath your value. You're the greatest player of all time. Uh, we don't, but we don't have to do it now. If your contract ends, we then won't be able to register you. Why Barcelona didn't do that, I think, is really interesting." But that all ties into the mismanagement that has got them to this point in the first or, place. Or or the relative value they have applied to those players that they have signed relative to Leo and Messi. Are you, are you saying that they would they would rather prioritise, just numbers, but uh, especially if they're trying to get rid of a load of players, but those players that they have brought in, as you say, who are all on freeze, but their, their, their wages will contribute to this either 95% without Leo Messi or more than 110% if they were to resign him, which of course they're not doing. So have they decided that Memphis Depay, Sergio Aguero et al actually have more value to a club in their position than Lionel Messi? I don't think so, no. I think there's, there's a couple of things that are just theories. One, I think it's possible, or I think it's not impossible, that Barca worked out that this was the way to end the relationship with Messi in which nobody other than La Liga had to be blamed. And I think well, they... Well, Bartomeu they, as well, Bartomeu. And Bartomeu, yeah. You can, you, the, relatively guilt-free, you can, you can lose Messi. Not that they'd want to lose Messi. Obviously, he's, he's the greatest player in their history and he's the greatest player of all time. But I do wonder whether they, they looked at it and thought, look, do you know what? Sensibly, we just have to start again. We, we can't afford to keep him at even a fraction of his salary, you know, a fraction of his salary that's not a com- not the complete, 50% is the minimum. So even at that, it's too much. The other thing is, I think that because they effectively didn't have a board until about March, I wonder how much of it just kind of got pushed to the side as they, they were sort of wrangling politically. And the final thing is, I think they probably overestimated how much, how easily, how easy it would be to sell players. That's the other thing. They've not been able to shift anybody. 
And I wonder whether Rory, having come to terms with that reality of the players that they can't get rid of, that there was a need to lower expectations in the short term going forward. And all the time that Lionel Messi is part of Barcelona, you continue to expect him to produce miracles on their behalf. If he's not there, it it lowers the bar in terms of what they can achieve next season. And and again, as as you alluded to, as as you quite plainly said, they they have something to pin the blame on, which helps explain that away whilst they rebuild and regroup and look to go again in a few years' time. If Barcelona were eventually to not have Lionel Messi play for Barcelona anymore, they have to find a way of doing that where, as Steve and Rory said, nobody is forever considered the, the reason why. Lionel Messi did not want to sully his relationship with the club and with the fans. So he, he would have calculated that him just leaving for a better contract or some, something like that would, not have, would have been frowned upon. Clearly, the club hierarchy at the time of his departure will always be that club hierarchy that are tarnished with the ones that let Lionel Messi go. So Joanne Laporta came out in the press conference that he had, when was it, last Thursday, Friday? And he's at Friday. And he said, essentially, I'm, I'm not totally blaming Bartomeu, but... And then spent an hour reminding everybody of the absolute dire straits they're in financially and that it, it proved to be worse once they had done an audit on those finances. So there, there seems to be a calculated understanding, and this doesn't take into account the fact that they should, should or might have been able to do it before the end of June, but that it seems to me that there has been a calculated understanding of how to get out of this, even if Lionel Messi wanted to stay and Barcelona wanted him to stay. I do wonder whether this is, there's an element of this is the... This is like the the like the emergency break, effectively. That they that they they will have explored all the other options. Can we shift seven or eight players from the squad? Can we renegotiate down? Can we talk to the to La Liga about some sort of allowance? Can we do some sort of deal where Messi delays or defers his wages? And I think that they probably explored all of those avenues, realized they are all dead ends, and thought, okay, all we can do now is is let him go and cast it as there's, a, there's some sort of like institutional administrative obstacle from La Liga. We don't have a choice. It's no one's fault. It's at La Liga's and Bartomeu's. He can, Messi can go with all these constant, this stream of tweets and Instagram images and Facebook posts from Barcelona's official accounts of thank you, Leo. Thank you. know, if he'd just gone, if he'd gone last summer, none of that is happening. So Messi gets a nice goodbye. Barca's current institutional infrastructure don't get the the outright blame and the club can as steve says start to rebuild although i think to be honest that process is going to need a lot more contracts to expire before they can really start to i mean if, if you're looking in fact there's probably a pod in that at some point like how do you that's the one question i was going to ask is what what barcelona emerge post messi and could is could could there be kind of a silver lining in this because the, the break had to come at some point okay they wanted to keep him now he's gone is this kind of now the time that they can create a new club, a new team, not new thinking, new way of playing. I'm sure they'll stick with that historically what they've done. But could Barca, could this be a good thing for Barcelona? But, but, but you, 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 would have been, you would have been in teams, Chinch, where there, there are... Great teams. Great, great teams. teams. All of them. Great teams. Then yeah. you left and they weren't. And, but, and, and Sheffield Wednesday. And also yeah. Sheffield Wednesday. But the, mm. a load of teams who are saddled with contracts that are not befitting either the player for what they're contributing or indeed the financial situation of the club and Barcelona find themselves in a situation as Rory said that they have saddled themselves with all manner of ridiculous contracts but the ones that they have even knowing the, the situation that they're in the ones that they have added this summer because they're on free con free um free transfers yeah they are able to spend more on the wages because they are not outlaying a um a transfer fee. Now, I appreciate quite a lot, particularly Sergio Aguero has taken a, a large pay cut to play for Barcelona as well from his contract at City. But they are adding veteran players mm. on large contracts. So they're not mm. necessarily solving the problem that you said might be part of a better future. So, so Messi's not the only problem. Again, how they're procuring players, what they're paying their players, how, why they're paying them, they're, what, what they're paying them. That's going to be a problem that's going to linger on for years if they don't if they don't change their way. Do they want to change their ways? 
I think the yeah yes, I think they probably I think they realise they probably have to. The um, I think the issue is so you could in a normal world or in a computer game, you could dress this up as right. You freed freed up all that money from Messi, so you can now rebuild around like Ricky Puch and and Mariba and Ansu Fati, and you can generate Eric Garcia is quite a clever sign. He's young, you know, young central defender. You can start to rebuild with you know two or three of the. Maybe keep PK around. He's still a top class central defender. Jordi Alba. There's few, very few better left backs. You you keep two or three of the big names, and you you sort of start off with a with a young a young team of academy graduates or canny signing Pedri, who's probably the most promising player in, in world football. You're not short of, of star quality. You'd probably be competitive in La Liga. You might not win the Champions League, but you might have a decent run if you get a good draw. Um, it's you know Barcelona aren't going to collapse back to finishing tenth and being out of the Champions League for, for a few years. So there is a reason to believe that around like Fatty and Pedri and Eric Garcia and a couple of the others that you could craft a young side. And then maybe you throw in someone like Memphis Depay, who, to be honest, on a free, not a bad signing if you want a kind of, you know, top relative, not maybe not top class, but good quality striking option. Memphis makes sense. You could build a decent competitive side on a bit of a budget. The problem is that Barcelona have all of those players, but they also have Pjanic and Samuel Umtiti and Philippe Coutinho and Usman Dembele. And they have so many contracts that are so onerous that I don't think any real sort of rejuvenation, revamping of that squad is possible until three, four, maybe more than that, six, seven of those players are out of contract. I think you're waiting until 2022, 2023 and the bulk of that squad can be moved out. But at the same time, they're going to they're gonna be under pressure to compete because that's what it is to be a, you know, an elite high-caliber high club. If Laporta comes out and says, look, we're taking the next two years off, we're going to concentrate on trying to shift some of the wages from the, from the squad, we're going to try and bring through a couple of young players who we think might have a chance, and also we're signing this guy from Abar and this guy from Vidalid, it's not going to fly. And that's the bind that Barcelona have themselves in. So it, it could be, in an ideal world, that, that there is a way that this finishes with Messi having a glorious swan song somewhere and Barcelona having a, reju a sort of rejuvenated squad. But I think the situation is so dire that I'm not sure how they do that. I know the idea was to focus on Messi, but th th there is a slight tangent as well as to which clubs in Spain might be able to ruthlessly capitalise on this situation. And if they can, over the next couple of seasons, box clever bring in players and and strengthen their own position that that those that we've we've seen up and around near the top your Sevillas, Real Sociedad, um Villarreal off the back of winning the Europa League, you know, there's an opportunity for them to sort of leap into the void and make life very difficult for Barcelona in terms of Champions League qualification because you know, from from what I've heard from those that, that follow La Liga a lot more closely Atletico were the favourites for the title this season. Real Madrid seemed to be, at least in not as critical a situation as Barcelona. So they could be under a little bit of top four pressure. I think the, the really inter interesting thing from La Liga's point of view is whether with both Real and Barca massively diminished from what, what they were, can is there someone out there who can rival Atletico for the title that's not one of those two? And don't get me wrong, I think they'll both finish in the Champions League spots. I'm not sure there's anybody strong enough to knock them down to sort of fifth or sixth, let, let alone eighth or ninth or tenth. But you do wonder whether Sevilla, who seem to be sort of tuning up for a for a team for now rather than for tomorrow, whether they think they, they might be, they'd be the best placed team outside those three to try and win the title. And all it takes is Atletico to be a little bit less imperious than they were in the first half of last season. And you, you wonder whether there is a chance there for Sevilla. Sadly, because of the financial chaos at Valencia, I don't think they can do it. I think teams like Betis are probably all too far off. Sociedad are too small. Villarreal are the other team that have been reasonably consistent and have got a bit of a have got a good enough side maybe to put a run together. But I think they'd be they'd be maybe thinking, do you know what, if Barcelona properly blow up, we can take their Champions League place. I think the only team that could realistically challenge Atletico for the title that isn't either of them is Sevilla. So if, if that's Messi's past, Messi's future appears to be, and if this comes out on Wednesday morning and something extraordinary has happened that it's not PSG, or maybe not yet PSG as, a, as an alternative uh, future for him come Wednesday. Rory, we've spoken before about meaning and what it means to players to do certain things and to win certain things with certain clubs or to have personal achievements with certain clubs as opposed to ones that they 
uh, might be associated with. We've framed that discussion mainly um, with Harry Kane and a potential future at Manchester City, which again, by Wednesday morning, who knows what would have happened. And Jack Grealish has already made that move. Uh, we mentioned him in the subplot of that uh, conversation as well. And you, you would extrapolate that conversation to Messi at PSG, potentially delivering PSG the Champions League that they are so desperate to win? Well, I just, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it comes down to, I've been th thinking about it a lot, I think it comes down to basically what you want from football, and that's different, that's different um, for all of us. I don't, and I, I'm not, I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but to me, there is, there is something particularly kind of dispiriting about Messi going to PSG, and that's not because it's PSG, and it's not even because it's, backed by the state of Qatar and it's one of the kind of the new the one of the oligarch clubs it's it's the kind of it's the transactionality of it which isn't a word but Messi is going to the place partly where he can earn the the closest sum of money that compared to what he was earning at Barcelona no one will pay him like Barcelona but PSG are the ones who can come closest or PSG and City are the ones who can, can come closest and PSG appear to have won um but it's also that he's going purely to because they can help him win a Champions League. And that just partly because it it kind of reinforces this idea that there is now a, a not even a two a two two tier, two stream form of football where you've got PSG, we've got the elite and the non-elite. Within the elite, you now have PSG and City and maybe Chelsea who can afford to do things, and that's basically it. Everybody else, United are kind of United kind of straddle the the two different worlds, but everybody else is totally screwed. Um, it's the fact that he's gone just to win the Champions League, and you think, right? So yes, you, you PSG are putting a team together with Mbappe and Neymar and Messi, and it's totally kind of detached from everything else other than this project that they've they've been on for ten years. It doesn't have any greater symbolism than that. Messi was Messi at Barcelona was the was the, the apex of a style and a philosophy and a belief and an approach that had been in place for 30, 40 years. There is none of that at PSG. They've tried to buy all of it in. And it just seems very, there will be a generation, I'm really conscious of this, there will be a generation of fans who see Messi at PSG and think that's amazing because he's going to play with Mbappe and Neymar. This is FIFA Ultimate Team made flesh. This is really exciting. Um, and this is, you know, this is, the, who, who you know, let's, let's watch him, you know, beat, Twat 8-0 and Strasbourg 8-0 every week for the rest of the season. It's going to be incredible and let's see if they can win the Champions League. And they'll be really interested in that. But to me, it just leaves me cold as it is such an obvious kind of the player who earns the most money in the world goes to the team that has the greatest ability to pay that money. There is He's detached from his development. There's no real stylistic kind of mesh. There's no. It's not like he's gone to Napoli because that's where Maradona played and there's some romantic reason for it. It's so not where like, would he go then, Rory, in your eyes? If you're looking at from a moral standpoint, where nowhere, where would he go? nowhere, Chinks. That's the problem because football has become so has become so fractured. There is no those teams don't exist. That kind of second tier team that wants to as I mean, this is going back before my time when Maradona signed for Napoli. He went from Barcelona to Napoli. Napoli were not an elite team; they were an ambitious team. Mm. There are now no more ambitious teams outside the elite, because the elite is so cosseted. So you have to choose one of the 12. That's it. You obviously can't go to Real Madrid. Half the one, basically everybody else on continental Europe can't pay his wages, can't get close. Inter are busy selling, Inter have just won the title in Italy and are busy selling literally anyone they can think of. They've already brought in 200 million euros and they're still thinking they have to sell more to the scale of the financial disaster. Milan don't have the money. Juventus don't have the money. Bayern have said they can't do it. They, they might, I think they maybe could in theory, but they're not prepared to. In England, you've got City and maybe Manchester United and maybe Chelsea can pay. And I think at least two of those would be taking a massive risk and probably wouldn't be that appealing to Messi anyway. So there is nowhere else he can go. It would be lovely to think that Messi would have looked at it and thought, basically, he's in this privileged position of being able to pick and choose where he plays. And it's totally understandable that he should want to go and win things. He's got three, four years left at the top. He should want to go and win things. But it's just indicative of where football is that there is no option but going to PSG. That's it. There is no, there is no other market. I quite like the fact that Chinch was leading us towards an idealistic conversation and it would be quite nice to have that after finishing with the reality of why 
Messi to PSG is ultimately the only option. It's the only option in terms of who can afford to take him on. But I can also understand from Messi's point of view, when he's thinking about the way the conversation is framed around the greatest now, that he will feel however much there could have been a, a more romantic choice for him somewhere out there, that he needs to make a choice where he is more or less guaranteed success for the two or two plus one years of his. If he goes to PSG, he wins the title three times. He stands a very good chance of winning the Champions League again. He would be in the Ballon d'Or conversation once more if he was to help guide PSG to the Champions League. And and those those are the numbers that we... We're too. We're so focused on the numbers when we're talking about the conversation regarding sporting greatness that even Messi himself wouldn't have been able to counter the idea that there was somewhere he could go. Could he have gone? Could he have taken a massive wage cut and gone to Milan and helped turn them into a force in in Italy again? Could he have stayed in Spain and gone to Sevilla and turned them into the title challenges that we've just talked about them? maybe being could he have come to England and gone to someone other than Chelsea or Manchester City you know could he have helped bring the glory days back to Manchester United which are now longer ago than one or two people would would like to admit they are there there, there were other more romantic choices that I assume he could have made if he wanted to drive it in that direction and if what he could earn and the guarantee of success weren't so utterly critical. It wasn't so cold and hard. It's, the... not, it's not about romance, is it? It's a hard marriage. Well, you ask the question, Chinge. You ask Simple the question. As that. Do you, do you, does it leave you cold, Chinge? Or, the or the or... thing is, you, you tend to think, oh, there must be clubs out there. And Rory's saying that there probably isn't the, the Napoli for Maradona that there is for Messi. Or, or is there? Is there Let's... somewhere? Steve? There must be clubs that he could have thought, if it's about, the, if it's about success, it's about money. There is only one place. There's only one club that he's going to go to. If it's not about that, if it's about more than that, then there clearly must be a few clubs that he could go and play for. The thing to remember as well, just quickly on the Napoli-Maradona comparison, is that Maradona was 10 years younger than Messi is now Mm. when he went to Napoli. Mm. It's not feasible for a 34-year-old to go to an ambitious club and have the same sort of impact as Maradona did in 1984. Probably not. Yeah, with the, with your sort of hard-nosed business head-on, you're trying to think, all right, obviously he... Yeah, look, the, I, I don't actually think it's about money. I suspect that the defining factor for Messi has been, where can I go and win stuff? Yeah. And that's fine. Totally get that. He's earned the right to do what he likes. More than earned the right to do what he likes. I, I do think it's a bit sad that... There is nobody out there who, and I think that's the bit that's bad for football. Is there's no one out there who can who can present to Messi a compelling case for why one trophy at a club should mean more than three lead on titles with PSG. I find it sad that Milan haven't been able to say to him, "Look, if you can help us win Serie A again, that'll mean way more for your legacy than than winning three French titles with PSG." You know, it's a given. They're going to win them anyway. We're not going to win the title without you. You can you can prove your greatness. I also think it's the one thing that I, I do makes me a bit sad. And I, I don't. I've never met Messi. I'm not in a position to judge him as a person. I would imagine there are places he he must have played during his career with Barcelona where he that he's thought I'd quite like to play here. This would be a good place to play football. Maybe that's Dortmund. Maybe it's maybe it's Naples, maybe it's Florence, you know, so, somewhere like that. And he is, because he is 34, because he has made his money, he would be in a position to say, I can make myself affordable for you. That has all, the fact that he's not done that isn't a bad thing. It doesn't reflect badly on him, but it does, it does reflect what the situation in football is, which is if you want success, and that's what all athletes would want, if you want to win trophies, you have to go to a specific coterie of clubs and that if you want to be paid somewhere close to your market worth, you have to go to one of three. So but it's not it's the, not Messi's problem. It's the state of football in, say, Europe that's the I problem. Think, I think, They're to all be honest... To blame, the whole, <laughs> Everyone's to blame. They're all wrong. The whole thing is, is the best example you could hope for of where football stands at the moment. So you have the greatest player of all time forced out of the club that he wants to play for because of its own financial mismanagement, which has been inspired not only by its own incompetence, but by... It's, it's need to keep up 
with clubs backed by whole nations who have distorted the market beyond repair to the extent that Barcelona and Real Madrid, among others, wanted to launch a Super League to try and try and feather their own nests, protect their own advantage, and within their own very small world, level the playing field. They wanted to negate the advantage of, of those, those oligarch clubs. And that when he leaves, it is dressed up as the fault of La Liga for trying to enforce financial controls and as part of a broader power struggle between the two big Spanish clubs and La Liga over the, the, the decision from the league to sell its commercial rights to a third to a private equity firm. That is the the encapsulation of what football has become. And it's only it's not even six months since we had the, since we had the whole Super League thing. There was a point after the Super League, and we talked about it, where there was a genuine appetite for chain, healthy change within football. And I think the messy deal is the absolute confirmation that that, part, that point has been and gone and that instead we are hurtling down a different road in which no one is going to address the, the huge changes that football needs in its kind of financial management, in its competitive balance to make it what it could be. And instead we're going to get it we're going to get a version of football, a heightened version of what football is now. The fact that only that in the same week, in that still in the middle of a pandemic, that Man City broke the British transfer record for Jack Grealish, they might do it again for Kane, and that Messi was forced out of Barcelona and had to sign for PSG, so there was no other option on the table, no other feasible option in terms of his wages and his need for success, is just, that's modern football. This, that, that, this is the, the wheat that has defined modern football. As, as as much as that would appear to be a perfect conclusion to our conversation, uh, this uh, epilogue will hopefully be brief. But we've we've spoken about how Lionel Messi, this person, has made this decision based on his personal wishes. But we and and we have also asked whether there might be a more romantic option that might appeal to his more romantic side. But I think the nature of a 34-year-old Lionel Messi is different to a 34-year-old, A, another player who has made that romantic move as the last one of his career. I imagine that Messi, because he lost the agency, because he had to leave Barcelona, he is reacting to that by pursuing something that means titles and potentially winning the Champions League and still keeping his earning power as high as possible to retain that, whether it's self-esteem, I don't know, but retain that agency, that ability to decide for himself and make that best decision for him. If it was a 37-year-old Messi, say, for example, at the end of a three-year contract with PSG, then you might find yourself, because he is a fit 34-year-old, just like Cristiano Ronaldo was as well. It is a different situation to the David Beckham going to, to LA. Actually, David Beckham went at 32, didn't he, I think? Um, but that I, I think because of Messi's ability still at this age, and there's no great sense that a 34-year-old Messi is a soon-to-be-retired Messi and going to the romantic option because he is... You know, he is on the decline. So I, th I think that's why he might, that might be one of the reasons why he is choosing PSG, as depressing, Rory, as it is, given those ser series of circumstances that you outlined. He, I think he, like I say, I think the, the defining thing for Messi is where can he, he didn't want to leave Barcelona, but now that he has to, how does he make up for, basically, how, how does he make up for all that he's lost in in? In the years that he's displayed loyalty to Barcelona, does he's you know Messi's not won the Champions League since 2015. He's not really been competitive for the Champions League since 2017. Bear in mind he was on the pitch not only for the three 0 in Rome, he was on the pitch for the four 0 at Anfield, and he was on the pitch for the eight two against Bayern, which is the the most humiliating moment of Barcelona's recent history. So, I think what he's looked at is how can I make up for that? What do, what do I want the coda to my career to be? And he obviously wants it to be the Champions League, so he's gone to the place where there is there is a better there is a greater guarantee at PSG of winning the Champions League such as it's possible than at any of the English clubs did you, because did, there is always the possibility that one of the English clubs won't qualify for the Champions League do you, do you think that were City interested that he would have preferred to go there because there's also the emotional pull of, of, of Pep Guardiola but the emotional pull that that, that is obvious at PSG. Uh, he made the call to Maurizio Pochettino, so there's the link there, but obviously playing with Neymar again. Do you think if he had the chance to go to Manchester City, he would have chosen that, given the money being exactly the same? I think it would have been a, a tricky choice. I suspect PSG might have just edged it. I think it's probably there's probably familial and cultural and weather-based reasons for preferring Paris over Manchester. But um, 
it would have been difficult. I'm, I'm surprised. As I say, I, th I think he could have, and I don't want to be too harsh on him. I do wonder if there is an, a, an easier balance. It, it doesn't strike me as impossible to think that there is an easier balance to strike, that Man United, for example, might might suit his need for glory while simultaneously having a romance to it, which is ridiculous to say about Manchester United. But, you know, there is a rom there is a reason to want to play for Manchester United if you're Lionel Messi. Um, if, he was, I, if he was coming to Manchester, that would have been the more iconic choice. Yeah, exactly. If it, if it was available. Messi in a United shirt. But given yeah, everything would, that we've said, unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> unlikely. But, but sorry, I just drifted back towards romanticism. I think just to pick up on something that Rory's just mentioned, <laughs> I mean, we... Your eyes were getting all misty there, Steve. I know, there sorry. There was a tear just, rolling down. Oh, look, the, the oh. idea of having Messi playing regularly five miles down the road, that would have been glorious. Oh, what it was it? a tear to the eye and a lump it to the groin. It, it really does. It's not going to really happen. Does. Anyway, never mind. It, it, the, the, when the discussion or the comparisons between Messi and Ronaldo are had, the, the one stick that has been effectively used to beat Messi with is that Ronaldo has won titles in more than one country has won the Champions League with more than one club and also until very recently had led his nation to continental success in, in the Euro with Portugal. Messi has now won a Copa America with Argentina. So that one's chalked off. By going to Paris, he has the ability to address those two issues. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't. So he doesn't, he doesn't. Because, because there is the relative value of winning the, winning the French lead with PSG does not count as an achievement I, in most we, fans' eyes. We, we, see, we see the bigger picture of that, Rory. But in terms of a cold, hard facts discussion, in order to address that accusation, which is of no validation anyway, yeah. by going to Paris... Right, well, there you go. I've won a title in another country. Stop banging on about it. And it's his be as you've said, it's his best chance of winning the Champions League. Therefore, to do as Ronaldo has done and to win the Champions League with more than one club. Do you think he has basically done this for the length of his Wikipedia honours section? <laughs> no, no, no. It's exactly. <laughs> it's the conversation where where uh, th that uh, I imagine for most people, uh, figurative, but for some literal, put your medals on the table, son that he wanted to have at least another medal that he could put on the table. Mm, mm. And, and it's, all, it's all about the hardware and the Wikipedia honours that you sometimes have to collapse and open up because it's so huge. Um, thank you, gentlemen. Cathartic indeed and longer than 20 seconds. But quite uh, sad as well. It's an indictment of, yeah. of where we are. But again, we all knew where we were, but this has just really underlined the fact that... Uh, the great finances in the game are controlling everything. I think we need sad. to... Rory's, but it's, it's given us a dose of reality there, which is not a dose that I'm happy to swallow. I, I think the latest piece of SPM merchandise is, is Rory's quote, it's the week that defined modern football. I think yeah. we need Messi in a PSG shirt and yeah. Rory's quote underneath it. That'll but We're all being weathered by the so financial wins, I, I feel. <laughs> Stop trying to sell T-shirts. <laughs> But that's what Hugh wants us to do. Buy T-shirts, people. Buy T-shirts. I'll tell you what, Stephen, as the social media uh, entrepreneur of the group, that, that minute and a half that Rory had where he basically sounded like he was just going to walk off into the sea and never be seen again. But a bit like Bodie, Patrick Swayze in Point Break, the, the, the once in a 50-year storm and he just wants to go and ride those waves. It just felt like Rory wanted to go and ride those waves and never be seen again. Is that who Bodie's named after? No. It's did, did Patrick Swayze in that film also have difficulty passing stools? <laughs> what, a furniture shop? <laughs> it is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is normally when Andy tells a tale from his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behaviour and libel where the details are moved. And he still might. But it'll be in response to this from Buffalo, you and Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. This has not been... I've not been told about this. Uh, you're being told about it live, now. just like just oh. like Rory's piece on Messi. This is oh, happening right. live. Chinch, just okay. just pretend it was mentioned on the WhatsApp group, and yeah. therefore, like like in those okay, okay. other circumstances, this is the first you're hearing about it. Okay. This is this is happening live via your portable computer. <laughs> Dear Hugh, Steve, Rory, and Andy, I am writing with a question. Says you and Hey, was Chinch's passion for high altitude gantry gallivanting ignited? by a ride on the highest forklift truck in Europe in the spring of 1988, just prior to Manchester City's FA Cup quarterfinal with Liverpool. I ask because my father 
Cliff Haig has just written a book called Programs, Programs. Pitch publishing available online and at all good bookshops. What is it with plugging in this program? Uh, which examines the changing cultural landscape of Britain and British football after World War II through the lens of his collection of programs. A fascinating and nostalgicizing topic, as I'm sure you will all agree. Heck, you might even be interested in reading it. And unlike Pat Nevin, I'd be delighted to send you a copy or two <laughs> free. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my copy of Pat's book. Um, <laughs> I've added, I've added free. He didn't put free, but now he's uh, he's wedded to it. The book describes a Manchester City program of the late 1980s, in which stars of the city lineup are pictured visiting the premises of Brother Electronics in Guy Bridge, Greater Manchester, to strengthen the bond between club and shirt sponsor. As part of the tour, which took in what were no doubt thrilling displays of high-speed microwave ovens, a <laughs> dot matrix printer and a combination electronic typewriter slash TV monitor, some of the players were given the opportunity to see if they had a head for heights, the program says, and ascend 13 metres into the air on Europe's highest forklift truck. Health and safety regulations notwithstanding, or quite frankly likely being completely ignored, the pictured Manchester City stars were Kenny Clements, John Gidman, Neil McNabb, Imre Varadi, Paul Stewart, and yes, Mr. Andrew George Hinchcliffe. So did uh, Andy uh, rise to the occasion? A soccer story needs to be told. Always appreciate your wonderful podcast. All the best to you. And P.S. Liverpool strolled to a 4-0 victory in the subsequent quarterfinal at Main Road with goals from Houghton, Beardsley, Johnston and Barnes. Were City mm. affected by delayed effects of delayed onset low altitude sickness? Five of the six players pictured at the Brother facility started that match. Mm. Um, and Ewan's dad, Cliff, has sent us a picture of the front page of that programme, uh, although not the actual pages with a brother feature. If you have them, Cliff, send them. Uh, Chinch, any memories of scaling a rather high forklift truck? Well, I'll come to that in a minute, but I remember the game because it, Main Road was, it was absolutely cacking it down with rain. So that's one excuse. We got absolutely shat on <laughs> by Liverpool. <laughs> That's that's all I, all I, that's the simplest way to explain it. We got shat on. But I there's a picture of me on a 13 meter high forklift truck. A picture because I have absolutely no memory. And you think of all the soccer stories I've told, this would this would rank quite highly. Ha, <laughs> you see what I did there. Uh, but I don't and I don't have a head for I don't like heights. I I get a nosebleed climbing the stairs, crossing the halfway line. I don't like heights, so this this is this really me? It may say it's me, but have you have you seen this picture? Well, I've I've asked Cliff to send the actual. Oh well, yes, we need to see it. But there is it, it is a story detailed in his book. Yeah. Um, suffice to say that the stars of the city lineup are pictured visiting the premises of Brother Electronics in Guide Bridge, Greater Manchester. I don't I don't remember the visit. I don't remember the microwave ovens. I don't remember. Being perched atop of a 13-metre-high forklift truck. That's quite high, isn't it? That's as high as a house. I, I need to see the picture, so please could you, yes, get the picture, forward it to me, and I will lie and pretend I had a great time. Keep your correspondence, if particularly you are Cliff, and have that picture coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. And also, did we mention, buy the merch, tpublic.com. What uh, merchandise is that, uh, Hugh? That is merchandise with some of some of it has your face on it, Chin. No so, way. Unlike the uh, unlike the brother visits, this guarantees your face. Um, please subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory, and Andy, and to you all for listening. Please buy the merch. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Uh, and before we go, do you remember during the uh, the thrice episodic uh, summer special? Uh, Rory had switched off so significantly from football following the Euro 2020 final that he had forgotten all things about football. Well, mm. it just so happens that thank thankfully, you know, the, the, the three slash 4G availability of a local Ripon uh, pub car park meant that, has meant that he has already switched back on. But we did promise a quiz uh, to see whether Rory had managed to get himself back okay. in the groove and whether everything that has transpired over the last four weeks has been forgotten. So, uh, Rory, I have one simple question for you. This is your quiz. Okay. If you are able to answer it correctly, you once again established an authority and you are able to report on football with that authority, very much lining your work. Do I have to lose my job if I did it wrong? 
Uh, yes, yes. I right. think I, I've had a word with Andy Das, and he has fair. said yes. Seems he fair. has said this. So, Rory, your simple one simple question is this: What is the current handball law? Oh, I've no uh, idea. Yes, exactly. I didn't think you were. No, nobody knows. That's, That's the correct answer. Question. Well done. Can Absolutely. I ask him a question? It'll be about the championship. How 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 comfortable would you be me asking you about the championship? I reckon I could name eight of the twenty four teams. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's a question for you: Which of the promotion chasing teams? Does Jordan Zamora play for? Never heard of him, no idea. You've never heard of him? No. Uh, hang on. Don't guess. Tranmere Rovers. <laughs> Chasing promotion to the Premier League. That would be some story if Tranmere managed to get to the Premier League this season. Oxford United. Championship promotion chasing team. Is it Royal Those town? two teams aren't in the championship. Royal Engineers. The closer, closer. Kevin uh, Druids. If I Fulham. mention a few, I'll Fulham. mention. No, no, no. It's not Fulham. If I, I'll mention East some five. of the players from this team and see how long it takes you to actually right, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, okay. So it's Jordan Zamora. No. Jaden Anthony. Still no. No. Not ringing any bells. This will give it away. Emiliano Marcondes, who transferred to this team from Brentford. Oh yeah, no. I, so I've heard of Mar- Marcondes story at the weekend, didn't he? Uh... Yeah. Who for though? Come on! Come on! You're trying to squeeze a stool out, Tinch. He's trying. <laughs> <laughs> the 